we certainly love Charity Baptist Church. And I certainly love Pastor Kevin Barrett. And uh, I can never thank you folks enough for uh, the part you've played in our lives. You have been a blessing to us in, in many ways. And, and uh, even Brother Jay left his mark on our church van. And we all, every time I see that dent in the van, Jay, I never forget you. <laughs> But uh, you are such a joy to be around, and I mean that. And uh, I love missions conferences. Missions conferences are not camp meetings, and we all like camp meetings and Bible conferences, and, and uh, the old flesh really enjoys a lively atmosphere. They're not saying we're not lively. We, we all like that. It's, it's part of our nature. It's the way God created us. And... Uh, but a missions conference is a time to listen. It's a time for God to work in our hearts. And, and I love these times. And you've always been open to that. This has always been a special place to come. I'm, I'm honored to be invited back each year to come. So, but uh, you folks are very, very special to us. And then I get to meet others that are serving God. And it always fascinates me uh, how God is fulfilling his great passion to bring men to himself and using so many tools and whether it be in the inner city or behind prison walls or the uh, country out in the uh, rural America or even on an Indian reservation. It, it's just a, an amazing story of his grace. We would sing... At the church, Anunia. Dehawaun, Makshicha de Kawani, Wawash de Ki Yewaya, Wichoni, Wanblaka. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. It was blind, but now I see. And it's just an amazing story of what God has done. And uh, I believe it's, it's about to wrap up. I really do. And as I said last night, what we must do, we must do quickly and give ourselves to him. We pray for the, that the Lord of the harvest will send forth the laborers into his vineyard. I was in a missions conference right in uh, Columbia, West Columbia, South Carolina, right before we went to the reservation. Pastor Paul Monroe, Brother Inslee knows him. And uh, all during the week, he challenged people to set alarms on their phones. You know, we have the ability of setting all kinds of, of uh, alarms. Of uh, Matthew nine thirty eight, I believe it is. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth the laborers into the harvest. And uh, at nine thirty eight every morning, uh, he said, set your alarm, and when it goes off, just remember, pray that God will call people into his work. At 9.38 p.m., uh, let your alarm go off to remind you to pray that the Lord would send forth labors into the vineyard. I've never forgot that. Uh, I don't have those alarms on my phone and uh, things, but, but I, don't, I haven't forgot that. And uh, we need uh, people praying for us. And, and we appreciate you, Gan, so much. And the Inslee family, we've known them for several years. And uh, they spent a couple of weeks with us on the reservation this past summer. And he came in and uh, serviced all of my vehicles, changed oil, changed fluids, and, and all of those kind of things, which was a real help to me because we had other things going on. And... Uh, so anytime someone comes in and does that kind of thing, uh, it takes something off of me. So I really appreciate the Inslee family coming out and, and being with us, and we're praying for them. Brother Waddington, nice to meet him. Brother Rogers, first missions conference I was ever here, Brother Terry Rogers was here in that conference. And uh, I see him on Facebook, and so it, it's just thrilling uh, to be a part of the work of God. And we don't deserve it, do we? But I'm thankful I get to do this. What a privilege it is 
the Lord lets us serve him. Pray for the work there on the reservation. Brother Johnny mentioned last night, I, I forgot about it, uh, several weeks ago, two or three months ago, I uh, was running the bus to pick him up for the Bible study on Wednesday night, and I was running, and I always go by uh, and give them, natives are a little different, I, I, I go by every Saturday, put a piece of paper in their hand, me and you, we live by calendars, they don't, uh, you've got to tell them today or the day before, because they don't live by a week or a calendar or a month. They don't think it's just today. Most of them are just living to get through this day. So they don't think like we do. So I have to leave things in their uh, possession with written down and all that kind of stuff. And I do that all the time. And so I'll say, I'll be here at such and such a time. Well, it's running a little bit ahead of schedule that Wednesday night. I'd left and fueled the bus up. And so I just pulled off right there by Yellowbirds and was just sitting there for a few minutes because uh, it was about 10 minutes early. And uh, I was sitting there, a little, little Indian boy. And uh, I don't even know the kid's name. And I'm sure I've seen him somewhere because everywhere I go, I'm always uh, speaking, introducing myself. And, and I carry the, uh, these little dum-dums, little suckers in my pockets all the time. And... Uh, Lord, I, I have no idea how many I've given out over the years. And the kids all know who I am. And I do that on purpose because I want them to always remember me as somebody that stopped and talked to them and loved them and showed them that I care. Because those little kids are going to grow up one of these days. And uh, so it's all about on the reservation building relationships. But I was sitting there and my window was rolled down. And this little Indian boy, he slid in on the side of his bicycle. He said, you're a church man, aren't you? And I said, I am. I'm the church man. He said, uh, you going to church? I said, I'm fixing to pick up people in just a few minutes. And so he just talked to me a little bit, uh, whatever there. And then he rode off on his bicycle. And I saw him going up the street. And uh, like I said, I don't, I don't know where I've even seen the kid. I know I've seen him somewhere. He knew who I was. And uh, he rode up the street a little ways, and he come back, and he rolled up to the wind, and he said, you got a book? And I said, uh, book? I, I didn't know what he was talking about. I said, book? What do you mean, book? He said, have you got that book to God? And I said, you're talking about a Bible, aren't you? And he said, yeah, yeah, that book to God. And he wrote off, I thought, I don't think I've ever heard a better description of this sacred old book than that book to God. Because it's through the word that we came to know him. And that little boy wrote off, I'll find him somewhere one day. And, uh, but I prayed. And uh, Lord, somewhere, bring this little boy to you. And uh, this book, you get them under the book. I found this to be true. I don't care where you are. Uh, you get people under the book and you tell them the gospel. And uh, I don't go in there uh, scalping. If I go in there scalping, I'll get scalped. You know how it works. And uh, I don't go in there putting down... Uh, uh, the sun dance, or never, never even mention those things. I don't have to tell them what's wrong. I just tell them what God says. He does that. And it's amazing how when someone, when they finally see, it's like I, uh, I think of people that I have visited for years, and then they'd finally come. And they maybe would sit there a year, and uh, all their traditions, and then you add on to that all the Catholicism, and which gives so much darkness. Uh, the darkness that Catholicism brings is 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 more of an in, a harder wall to break through than the traditions and their customs. It's it's just a darkness there, and it blinds them. And so when you come in preaching the gospel, everything is filtered through what they learn through a priest or something like that. And uh, it really is a wall oftentimes. But they'll come, I've seen them come and sit there and come a year. And then it's like there's that blessed moment when it's like 
you turn a light switch on, they see. And when they see, you don't have to plead with them to come. They come. And they'll get up out of their seat. And I've seen them come and just fall down and cry like babies in the altar. And that's the amazing power of the grace of God in the gospel. And you just tell them what God said. And, and that's what he sent me to do is tell them what he said. Not what I think about things, but tell them what he said. And he does it. And just love people. Love them unconditionally. But pray for us on the reservation. Mark chapter 10, if you would, please. And I want you to stand with me. And we're going to look at verse 28 and a few verses there. Missions is not just about trying to get your money. And I somewhere one time I heard a pastor talking about moochinaries. And, uh, and I thought, you, you have no clue. You, you, you have no clue whatsoever. Missionaries have to mention money because how could we go if we didn't have to go? But that's, that's not what it's about. And it's not just about trying to encourage you to give or even give more this year. But it's to get somebody to go. And I'm thinking, and I, I've thought through the day, you know, it's very possible, even someone here tonight, some young man here, God, reach down and touch your heart and call you. Oh, what a day that would be in your life. You have no clue what it would be. But people have to go. And I find in this story here, it reminds us in Luke chapter 10, or rather Mark 10, I'm sorry, Mark 10, verse 28. Jesus, they had just been, uh, had just spoken to the rich young ruler. Peter had heard what Jesus had said to this rich young ruler, and unfortunately, he left without doing as the Lord had asked and told him. But verse 28 said, Then, having heard what Jesus had said to the rich young ruler, Peter began to say unto him, get that, he began to say unto him, it's like the Lord, he, he was over and over, Lord, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. Peter said, lo, we have left all. To follow you. Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's pray. Our Father tonight, we ask that you bless each work that has been represented here, each servant. I've sat here tonight and rejoiced that you called this one, and you've called that one, that you've raised up this ministry. You've raised up that ministry. You are doing this here and you are doing this there. All of that just thrills my heart because I know that's the passion of your heart tonight. And I ask you, Lord, tonight that you would, that you'd bless all of these works. But even here tonight, Lord, would you work in our own hearts? What a blessed place this is. How you've raised this church up and what they do for the cause of the gospel. But I don't know of any church that could not do more. 
I don't know of any people that could not be more, including myself. So speak to us tonight. May this be one of those moments that you meet with us and we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. When Peter first met Christ, as he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, it was an experience that completely altered his life. That day he heard our Lord say unto him, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. The Lord called Peter for him to give his life absolutely and completely to him. And Peter at his master's bid abandoned one life and embraced an entirely new life. Mark says that he and his brother Andrew straightway forsook their nets and they followed him. When Peter heard Jesus say to the rich young ruler, come take up thy cross and follow me, I have no doubt that Peter's mind went back to the sandy shores of Galilee to that day when he heard the Lord say, come after me and I will make you fishers of men. I'm sure he recalled that day in his life that totally altered his life and changed his life. And with that on his mind, a little while later, he said, Lord, lo, we have left all and we have followed thee. As a believer tonight, you understand that as someone who's accepted Christ as their Savior, He has said to you, come ye after me. He has said to every believer in this room, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Perhaps you have heard that call. You heard his words. Perhaps he spoke them and you did not hear. Perhaps he has spoke them. I know he has said them to you. But possibly your ears have been deaf to his voice. But he says to every one of us tonight, come ye after me. And that raises this all important question tonight. Are you following him? Have you heard his words? Has there been that moment when you heard him speak to your own heart? And are you living for him? And are you serving him? It's what the Lord has asked of me. It's what the Lord has asked of you. In fact, there's not a one in this room tonight that he has not said, Come ye after me. If you've been saved, he has called you. But I want us to look at this story. And Peter, as he said, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. And I'm going to break it down into two simple little divisions. First, he speaks to us about a life of consecration. And then he speaks to us about a life of compensation. Think with me in the very beginning about our Lord's words or what Peter said that involves a life of consecration. Verse 28, Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Peter's word speaks to us about a life of consecration. And when I speak about a life of consecration, I'm speaking about a life in which we recognize that Christ is not only the Savior who has redeemed us, but He is the Lord who is to rule us. He's speaking about that kind of life where we vacate the throne of our own heart. We step down. We give up that which we have so selfishly possessed all of our lives. And we allow him to take his rightful place sitting on the throne of our heart. That is what a life of consecration is all about. We both hear his call, we heed his call. 
It is a call to give him our lives. It is a call to follow him. There is a leaving and there is a cleaving. We leave behind one life and we take up a new one in which Christ is now Lord of everything, ruling and reigning over our heart. You see, in Peter's words, lo, we have left all and followed thee. That is a life of consecration. Now, what does this life of consecration speak of? What did it mean in the life of Simon Peter? For one thing, it spoke of a higher purpose in life. When Peter said, we have left all and have followed thee. He was describing how that he had given up his life for a higher purpose in his life. When Peter said, we have left all, that was no exaggeration. He said, when we have left all, that was literally true. When Mark says that Peter and Andrew left their nets, he was stating that Peter actually was walking off from his occupation. He was walking away from his source of income. As we would say, he was quitting his job. He had heard a voice that spoke to him about a higher reason for living and a higher purpose in life. And he left all and followed him. We've all met them who gave up so much to be obedient. And you might say tonight, why would someone, why would a Peter or why would somebody in my own generation give up a fabulous career? Why would they give up this lucrative occupation? Why would they sell everything they have and move thousands of miles away or hundreds of miles away? Why would anybody do that? Why? If I was to answer that question, and I think I could perhaps answer it, if you would let me take you back in time just a little bit, I could take you back to a couple of many points in time. But I just want to take you back to a couple of points in time. And I believe then, if you will travel with me to those two points in time, I believe you might understand why someone would do that. If I were to travel tonight and you would travel with me, let me take you back to a hill. And let me take you back to a hill that is called Calvary. And see there on yonder cross. And let your eyes rest upon the Savior that is hanging on that middle cross. Suspended between heaven and earth. Just see him there. See him in those hours of agony. Just look. Don't turn your eyes away. But look and see him poured out like water. And see his pierced hands and feet. Listen to him. In that anguishing hour as he cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, why, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And hear him, the Holy One, in a moment that he becomes sin for us who knew no sin. And ask yourself as you stand there, what am I hearing? And what am I seeing? What is happening upon the cross? Can I allow Isaac Watts to answer that question for you? When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss. And pour contempt on all my pride. And were the whole realm of nature mine. That were a present too small. 
love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. Let that scene remain in your mind for a moment. And then let's travel up into history, through time. And let me take you back to that moment when you first saw the light. In my case, the old building is no longer there. If I could, I would build a temple there. And I would set up a shrine there. A shrine to that moment when God in His grace opened my blinded eyes. There I sat as a 16-year-old teenager, hopeless, alienated from God. But in love, He opened my eyes. And I heard him say, come unto me. And I felt that touch in my heart and came to him. And when I think of that glorious day, and you think of that glorious day, I felt somewhat like Bunyan's Christian who came to the cross. And as he saw the cross, his burden rolled off his back tumbling down until it came to the mouth of the sepulcher, fell in the sepulcher, never to be seen again. And with three leaps of joy, Christian went on his way singing, Thus far did I come laden with my sin, nor aught could aught ease the grief that I was in, till I came hither. And what a place is this, blessed cross, Blessed sepulcher, blessed rather be the man there that was put to shame for me. If you could take those two scenes, when he died for you, and when you died with him, as I said to Tyler, and take those those two scenes, frame them in gold, and hang them in the stateroom of your heart, you'll find reasons why you would give up everything to do what he would want you to do. They are like cords of love that compel me to give anything that he would dare ask of me. Nothing would be too great. Nothing would be too small and light that he has given himself for me and give me life within himself. That's why somebody would leave their family to go to a foreign land. That is why someone would walk off from an occupation or vocation to go to a distant country compelled by the very fact that these things compel us out of love and gratitude to be all that he would want us to be. It gave Peter a new purpose in life. He's a fisherman, but ah, now he's fishing for men. It's give him a new life, a higher purpose in life. Nothing wrong with fishing, but oh, when you talk about fishing for men, you are elevating the purpose of life. There is no greater cause and no greater occupation and there is no greater purpose in life than trying to reach people for Jesus Christ. It gave him a higher purpose in life. But it also gave him a holy purpose in life. Peter spoke of how he and others had left all and followed thee. The word follow was used of a student following a teacher, becoming a learner or becoming a disciple of that teacher. It spoke of someone in fellowship with another leaving and cleaving to that person and following this learning, that he, the teaching and the learning of his teacher. You see, this higher purpose that Peter was given brought him into a holy purpose. And that purpose not only was to be fishers of men, but to bring him near the Lord Jesus and to live in his presence and to obey his wish and to obey his will. You see, to leave all. And give your life to him, a life of consecration. We're simply saying that Christ has now become the center of our lives. He becomes more than one that we believe in. 
He becomes one whom we live for. He not only lives within us, but we have given our life to live for Him, to know Him, to follow Him, to serve Him. He's no longer a part of our life. He has now become preeminent in our lives. It gives us a holy purpose that we might know Him. And that is the joy of serving Him. It's not about, and people come to the reservation and they're moved with the poverty. And they're moved with sympathy of the conditions in which people live. But that's not the cause of missions. And that is not what motivates us to go. It's not what motivates us to give Alice sympathy for poor little Indian children. Oh, there is a Christ that lives within us and pleasing Him and honoring Him. That's what motivates us. We are constrained by His love for us. You see, a consecrated life means that I have been given a higher purpose in life, that I have been given a holy purpose, that I might serve Him, and that I might represent Him, and that I might know Him. That's a consecrated life. It's more than giving up your cigarettes, and it's more than quit wearing pink ties like David Barnett does. It is more than those kind of things. No, consecration is more than I don't do this. I don't drink. Uh, I don't date. I don't chew. I don't date girls who do. I mean, it's more than those kind of things. Consecration is my life has now been captivated by a living one. And he has become my heartbeat He's what my life is all about. I live and breathe a living Christ in me every day and to do His bidding. That's what a consecrated life is all about. It's a life of consecration. We've left all. I left it because I've got a higher purpose now. To follow Thee, I've got a a holy purpose in life. But consecration, that seems to... Uh, cause shudder, a, a believer to shudder. Oh, no. Oh, if I give my life to God, he's going to send me to the darkest jungles of Africa. Or if I come and yield my life without reservation to my Lord, he's going to demand this of me. But I want to remind you tonight that a life of consecration is always followed with a life of compensation. Notice what he said in verse 29. He said to Peter, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come. You know what our Lord said to Peter? Peter, no one ever made a sacrifice for me that I do not compensate. Nobody ever gives up anything from me that I will not restore a hundredfold. What you sacrifice, I will multiply in return. Look closer at what he said. You see our Lord's word of affirmation. Verily. You know what that word verily means? It's a good old southern word. Amen. That's what the word verily means. Amen. It is true. In fact, when you say amen, what you're really saying, that's right, that is correct, that is true. And Peter said, Lord, I've left everything. And Jesus said, amen. And he said, I have left everything to follow you. And the Lord looked at him and said, amen. It's like our Lord was showing Oh, yes, Peter, I am pleased. It was a word of affirmation. And really, that's what serving God is about. We want Him to be pleased with our lives. That in all things He is pleased. I want Him to say, 
Amen. Lord, I have left all to get on my knees and said, Lord, I left my family to hear him say, Amen. I'm so glad. And I gave up this. And I to hear my Lord say, Amen. Listen, what greater reward could they be to feel that affirmation within my heart that he is pleased is our Lord's word of affirmation, but is a word of assurance. After expressing his approval, he assured his disciples that every sacrifice they had made would be returned to them in a manifold way, a hundredfold. For some, yes, I, I would not. I would not be deceptive or be less than honest with you. For somebody, to give it all to God may mean you have to give up a lot. To follow him may mean you have to take those that you cherish the most and put them on an altar and give them to God. I love the little sign that you have in your fellowship hall, missionary, a noun. Someone who leaves their family for a short time that others may spend eternity with theirs. It may mean that you have to walk away from that job that you love. It may mean you have to sell that house that you love. It may mean that you'll have to go to a foreign land. I'll not, I'll, I'll not, I'll not, I'll not t- try to deceive you in any other way. It may mean a sacrifice if you do the will of God. But Jesus said, no sacrifice that you ever make will go unrewarded. No sacrifice will go uncompensated. He said there was earthly compensation. Now, in this time, oh, we've had to say goodbye to our children. But God's give us little old Indian children that call us mom and dad every Sunday. God, we had, to, we, have, we had to walk away from land and homes and leave family behind. But there's a family that God's given us literally all over this country that are brothers and sisters and moms and dads and family to us. No, in this life, listen to me. God, you have to give up anything to serve him. He will compensate you in this life but also in the world to come. Oh, can you imagine it? The old story of the missionary and how he and his wife had served overseas for so many years. They were in their 80s. Uh, Missionary Morrison was coming home. And they were selling home back in the day when you traveled by ship. And they thought after all these years they would be sailing into the New York Harbor. You perhaps heard the story, H. Morrison. And they thought, will there be anybody there to meet us? Will there be anybody there to greet us? When they pulled in, it, it, it so excited them. The dock was filled with people. And they were waving their flags and their banners and they were cheering and And they thought, oh, how wonderful this is. We've given all these years of our life, and this is the welcome we get when we come home. But unknown to them, it was not for them. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was returning from a hunting expedition in Africa. The greeting was for the president. In a room all that, that night, all alone and somewhat discouraged, he said to his wife, He said, you know, we've given everything. We've given our life. And we come home and there's not one single person here to greet us. And he just, you could tell he was so downcast. And his wife said, why don't you go in there and pray about it? And he went in in a few minutes. She came back and sat down and she said, what did he say to you? He said, you're not home yet. I'm going to say to you, you get this? You wait till we shed this robe of flesh and we rise to skies unknown. It will be worth every sacrifice. It will be worth every trial. It'll be worth every heartache. 
It will be worth every sacrifice you make. Our Lord will be a debtor to no one in this life, but all you wait till we get home. What glory that will be. Oh, we live for this life, but understanding this world is but a vestibule to eternity. And we live and our whole life is wrapped up in this world with no thoughts of the world to come. But oh, when you have to give up this world and all the things of this world that charm us most, oh, when you get to the home and you see him for the first time, it will be worth it all. It was a word of assurance. He also spoke about a word of affliction. How strange he's talking about all these things. But he added, uh, with persecutions, how strange it seems to be that our Lord would throw that in there. He's like he's building him up. Now he's throwing cold water on him. But our Lord, he never uh, used a bribe to get someone to follow him. His words were always a challenge. Peter, yes, uh, there will be difficulty. It is going to cost you to follow me. It's going to cost you. And again, it may cost you to follow him. But again, even if there be persecution, even if there be tribulation, even if there be trial, even if there be devastating events in your life, no man has left houses or lands. He said, I will repay you. He's promising to follow. If you follow him, you'll live for him. And I ask you tonight, why would you not follow him? In light of him on the cross and in light of the day that he saved you. He saved you. Think about it. He came to where you were. You were going on in your darkness, blinded by the God of this world. You had no time for God, no thoughts of God. But all like the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, he apprehended you, he arrested you, and brought him under yourself, brought you unto himself. Why? One that would love you so much, why struggle with doing what he wants you to do? I would think. And when he talks about no man, no man, no man in Pontotoc, Mississippi. No man that have left houses or lands. He said, I will restore you. Why? I would think that we would want to jump up. Here I am. I'll go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. I would think there would be no fear. There would be no hesitation. I'll go. As a word of affliction, a word of assurance, is a word of affirmation. But he concludes with a word of appeal. Verse 31, but many that are first shall be last and the first last. Jesus said, in essence, basically, if you put yourself first, you're going to end up last. But if we put ourselves last, meaning it's not what I care about. It's not what I'm interested in. It's not my will. It's his will. If I put myself last, my comforts, my goals in life, my securities, if, if, I, if I forget all about and I put myself last, that none of these things really matter. What matters is what he has asked me to do. He said, you're going to end up first. To stand before him and I've lived and I've put myself first to stand before him and have nothing to lay at his feet. But all those, those who give up everything, they put themselves last. They put him first. Well, can you imagine that day when they see him face to face? What glory that would be. Our Lord... He cares about this world that he created. He created this world. I think about in the beginning God created the heaven and earth. And he also created Saturn, Mars, and Jupiter. 
He created all these planets, but he took one little globe and he created man. He said, this is where my love is going to be focused. All of these, they declare my glory. But I want somebody to love me. And I want somebody that will worship me for my worthiness. And he created man. And he breathed into us and made us a living soul that we might be made in his image that we could know him. That we could give back to him the praise that he so deserves. The praise that he so rightfully deserves. To give our life to him, to serve him. And that's and to redeem us. That's what he wants. And God, he wants to take every one of us in this room. He wants to take you, young man. Young people talk about goals in life and purposes in life. Can I assure you, I was 16 on a Sunday night in 1972 when I walked right down here and I fell on my knees in an old building in the mountains of North Carolina. And I said, Lord, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to be, I'll do it. I had never thought about preaching in my life. It had never crossed my mind. I hadn't been saved but a couple of months, and so everything is new to me. But oh, my heart that night, some folks, young people, had just come back from Camp Zion over here at Myrtle, Mississippi, and they came back, and they were so on fire for God. And they got up, and they began to testify. I was sitting back there, a teenager. I'd got saved. I was coming to church on Sunday morning like everybody does. But that night, God did something in my heart. And I got up and I knelt within six inches of the place where he birthed me and his family. And I said, God, I want to do whatever you want me to do and be whatever you want me to be. I'd never crossed my mind about preaching, but when I got off my knees that night, I knew what I would be doing for the rest of my life. Tell me, God tonight is looking for some young person that'll realize there's a higher purpose in living. There's a holy purpose in living more than you becoming a sports star, more than you becoming a successful businessman. There's something even greater than that. Becoming a servant of the Most High God. Tell me what is greater than that. And maybe there's some young man even here tonight that God says, I want you, and I want you, I want you. Yes, I'm asking you to leave everything and follow me. He's not, he's not, he's not trying to fool you or bribe you. No, he's making it very clear. It may cost you something. But remember, he says, whatever you give up, I assure you, you're going to get far more in return for doing so. Why would we not leave all to follow him? Let's stand our feet, please. Does not the cross compel you to give it all to him? Does not the day of your salvation compel you to come and say, Dear Lord, I'll follow you. Oh, his rewards... You'll never regret. I've met a lot of people. I shouldn't say a lot. I have met people that as they came to the end of their life wish they could live their life over again and live for God and do something for God. But I've never met anybody that ever gave it all to God that ever regretted. I believe it was Hudson Taylor after having served over 50 years in China, and you read his life, you talking about sacrifice, you talking about a costly life to take the gospel to China. But 50 years later, you know what he said? I never made a sacrifice. 
And it's interesting that those who give up the most never view it as a sacrifice. Because what they got in return made what they give up look so small. They never thought of it as a sacrifice. It was an honor. Give your life to him. Give your life to him. Someone asked me today, we were 55 years old when we went to the reservation. It should have been somebody in their 20s going there. But we were 55. We were at an age when we should have been thinking about slowing down. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. God is looking for those that will give their life to him. Knowing, and again, again, I assure you, yes, it may cost you something to do that. But when it's all said and done, you'll clap your hands with joy. And you'll bless his name that he called you. It will not be a sacrifice. It'll be a joy. He's speaking. Will you come tonight and cash, come? He's saying to you tonight, come after me. Follow me. Will you tonight come and say, I will follow you? And just say, I'll do what you want me to do. It may not mean ever leaving these four walls. It may not mean you'll go to Africa or anything. It could. I'm not saying it will. It may not change your life in any iota as far as having to give up things. But what you're going to say is, you gave your life for me. Now I give my life to you. That whatever you want to do with my life, I'm here. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Follow me, Jesus said. Can you hear him tonight? He stands here as he did on the sandy banks of Galilee one day. And Peter heard, come ye after me and I'll make you to become fishers of men. Can you not hear him tonight? Saying, come ye after me. And I will make you, 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 you to become fishers of men. Brother Greg, you lead us, pastor, you come.